When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A show where we just talk. Let's get rocking! In five, four, three, two. Which tweet? What tweet? Uh, the, about uh, saying that it is a modern day lynching that. Um, uh, sorry. <laughs> Jesse Smollett. Um, Okay, so I will say this about that case. I think that the facts are still unfolding, and um, I'm very um, concerned. Here's what Smollett, is it Smollett or Smollett? Smollett. You know, you're an American at home, worried about these rising prices. Uh, How long do you think Americans should be prepared for these increased prices? Well, I think the way the American people look at it is not through data. And what we would also convey to them is you should look closely at who has a plan here and who's just shouting from a megaphone about it being a problem. Elmer's friend has a question about Santa Claus. How did Santa get the vaccine and is it safe for him to go in the house? Well, I have to say I took care of that for you because I was worried that you'd all be upset. So I took a trip up there to the North Pole and I vaccinated Santa Claus myself. I measured his level of immunity and he is good to go. He can come down the chimney and you have nothing to worry about. Santa Claus is good to go. Jack Riccardi, 4 mm. till 7, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM wow. 107.1. Gosh, I, I had forgotten that Christmas special. <laughs> I had forgotten a very Fauci Christmas when I was a kid. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is the stuff of nightmares right there. I took a trip up to the North Pole, and I vaccinated him myself. (laughs) He put up quite a fight, but we finally held him down. Got him the jab. All right, well, good afternoon. Jack Riccardi at San Antonio's News Talk Station 550 and 1071 KTSA. Welcome to our dreadful little show this afternoon. Um, There is not very much in the way of good news when it comes to that tornado outbreak. But one thing they're reporting today, this afternoon, from Kentucky, is that remember that candle factory that everybody was very worried about, it completely wiped out? They they actually lost only a few workers in that factory. They had thought the death toll would be much higher. And the governor of Kentucky is saying this afternoon that they really are starting to feel like they're turning the corner on uh, on you know, these rising casualty counts, there are still a lot of people unaccounted for, but they're still holding out the hope that at least some of them are people that um, have not been in touch with uh, and maybe have not been able to be in touch with their families. 
um, because it's a it's a very chaotic sort of almost a a retro situation where you don't have any modern communication uh, in some parts of the tornado affected area. So we'll be keeping you up to date on that as we go through the afternoon here and keeping a good thought for the people in Kentucky. You know, one of the things I was thinking about was when you go through something like that, you, you lose lives and, and you lose homes and businesses, but a lot of people also lost their personal belongings. They lost photo albums and keepsakes. They lost casserole dishes that had been in the family and Things, you know, maybe th- things they earned at school or awards or bowling trophies or all the things that when you're down and out and you're feeling sad or lonely, the, the sentimental things that bring you comfort and you, you count on those things. We all have them in our lives and they lost all that. That's an incredible thing to lose. And, um, just keeping a thought for those folks. There is really a collision course going on right now uh, over COVID. On the one hand, the headlines are full of new mask mandates. New York and California are doing statewide mandates. These are new mandates. I'm not talking about the past. They have announced new statewide mandates in these two states and in other places. So the politicians are jumping on the Omicron train and, you know, full speed ahead. I still don't think we really know what this variant will mean in terms of cases, in terms of hospitalizations, in terms of how we go about things this winter. I think it's safe to say there will be more COVID cases this winter because any any virus like this is going to have a field day in the winter. But also remember that we go through every winter with numerous viruses circulating. It isn't as if we in, in previous winters we, we had none or there weren't any. So we'll see, and we're going to talk about that. Now, the collision course I'm talking about is, so on the one hand, politicians are jumping aboard, but on the other hand, businesses are starting to confront the reality of mask mandates in the workplace. And speaking of the train analogy, Amtrak has just suspended their vaccine mandate. In a statement, um, the company, like many other businesses, pointed to a recent federal court decision halting the enforcement of the president's executive order. Uh, and the statement says it caused our company to reevaluate our policy and address the uncertainty. Amtrak is announcing today that we will revert to our original vaccine mandate policy, which allows employees to submit negative COVID tests as an alternative to vaccinations. You see, a lot of companies simply can't keep the doors open, or in their case, the train's on time if they furlough all of these workers. This is this is reality meeting politics. See, politicians can give a lot of orders, and they can bark a lot of commands at us, but they can't make this country work. And the people who do make it work are going to decide whether or not they're going to live with this vaccine mandate. A lot of them are saying no. Uh, conservative uh Columnists are often joined by people who claim to be that. Uh, an example is David Frum, who writes for The Atlantic. He claims that he's their conservative columnist. It wouldn't be hard to be the most conservative person at The Atlantic, but um, he's supposed to be like their token right-winger over there. Um, he wants us to get back to normal uh, in COVID, and the way we do that, he says, is that hospitals should, quote, quietly 
triage the unvaccinated. So hospitals should just quietly start putting people that are unvaccinated at the back of the line. And this tweet has been widely circulated and retweeted since then. Uh, He says, uh, the malignant minority, that would be people that are not vaccinated, the malignant minority is not yielding to reason anytime soon. And even such seemingly basic mandates as no jab, no fly, seem beyond enforcement capability of the federal government. So what now? From answers his own question. The best option, one, keep encouraging vaccines and boosters. Two, impose mandates where it can be done. See how conservative he is? Three, Otherwise, return to normal as fully as we can. And four, let the hospitals quietly triage emergency care to serve the unvaccinated last. So you can tell how he feels about the unvaccinated, the malignant minority. We had the guy up in Illinois that said, we'll make them pay for their own care. This guy is saying, don't take care of them. I like the use of the word quietly, too. We couldn't do this as a matter of public announcement. Hospitals couldn't say we're ranking patients on their desirability. So he's saying, let's uh, come over here. I got an idea. Let's do this on the QT. Um, I think we can dismiss once and for all the longtime claim that health care is a right and access to it is a right. A whole lot of things you're going to find out in the next several months that the government giveth, the government can also taketh away. And taking things away from people they've given them to is how they get those people to do things. Ask anyone who's been, for example, in public housing. Now, long before the vast majority of Omicron cases were uh, around, and... um, long before we'd even heard the term Omicron, we had a term, a phrase, the pandemic of the unvaccinated. We're having a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It's been said by, among others, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, the director of the CDC. Um, now the uh, British medical journal Lancet is taking that term and the people that use it to the woodshed. Uh, in uh, an article, a German researcher uh, excoriates people calling it a pandemic of the unvaccinated. He says, amid increasing evidence that vaccinated individuals continue to have a relevant role in transmission. So there are um, there is evidence that after you're vaccinated, not only can you still get COVID, you've heard that, but you can also spread COVID. The numbers back this up. People who are vaccinated have a lower risk of serious disease. Good for them. But they're still relevant to this. They're still part of this pandemic. And it's odd to hear people in public health trying to divide the public into classes and categories because most of what we've always heard from public health people is that we're all in the same boat together. I'll give you an example. When in the 1980s, the HIV AIDS crisis was exploding onto the scene, the pronouncements from public health officials were, we're all in this together. 
this is not just something only gay people need to know about or only IV drug users need to know about. We're all in it together. Now, that may, may or may not have been actually true. I mean, it may, it may have been a bit of a political stretch to say that if you were not having promiscuous sex, you were not using drugs, that you were somehow in that boat. But their message was, we all need to care about this, we all need to support research and prevention, and that was the idea. And that's normally how they do this. That's normally how public health is practiced and pronounced. This is rare. I don't recall another time that people like Walensky are pointing out and singling out and classifying people and calling it a pandemic of the unvaccinated. If nothing else, it's simply inaccurate. It doesn't correctly represent what the vaccine is doing. So we'll talk about all that. And then you probably have heard about this. I don't know how much you've heard about it. But the January 6th committee in the House is um, putting out the texts that were sent to former President Trump on January 6th. And I, I find something very interesting about these as I read through them. And I'm going to read some of them to you. You'll be interested to know who sent them and what they were saying on January 6th. And I want to see if you noticed what I noticed about that. So we'll do all that and more. We're going to open up the phone lines at 210-599-5555. So the uh, January 6th committee... Um, put out last night the texts or some of the texts that were uh, sent to then-President Donald Trump on January 6th as uh, that crowd was breaking into and overrunning the Capitol. Um, The messages, we think, were supplied to the committee by Mark Meadows, who was... President Trump's last chief of staff, and at one time was a member of Congress. Remember, Meadows is still in conflict with this committee uh, over appearing or not appearing, and they've uh, decided to move forward with criminal charges against him for not appearing. But anyway, we think that's where they got these messages. The messages come from several Fox News personalities. Laura Ingram, Brian Kilmeade, Sean Hannity. They come from Donald Trump Jr., the president's son, and the the member of his family who was perhaps most involved in politics during the Trump years. All of these memos, or emails, I should say, are urging Meadows to urge the president to say or do something during the attack. Donald Jr. texts Meadows, he's got to condemn this ish ASAP. Meadows replies, I'm pushing it hard. I agree. Then Don Jr. reaches out again. We need, an o- we need an Oval Office address, he texts. He needs to lead now. It has gone too far and gotten out of hand. Fox hosts are bombarding Meadows with text messages. Mark, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. He is destroying his legacy, writes Laura Ingram. Get him on TV, destroying everything you've accomplished, text Kilmeade. Can he make a statement, ask people to leave the Capitol, text Hannity. Meadows also reports receiving dozens of texts from Republican lawmakers and staffers during the attack on the Capitol. The questions are all about the same. Is Trump going to say something? Shouldn't he say something? Et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, now, there's a lot of ways you could take this. And I've had a lot of people send me these today just to make sure I saw them. Um, I, I've never really been clear, and I, I still am not, and I don't expect to be clear on who was doing what and who knew what uh, about security at the Capitol. A, a big question for me is not so much what did they do once this started. A big question for me is why were they not better prepared? Why was the the probably one of the most famous buildings in the world so vulnerable in the first place? But But as I read these texts, you could interpret them a lot of ways, but, you know, to me, this destroys the idea that Donald Trump, his inner circle, his supporters in the media, all sort of were in on the plot. These read like people who are shocked at what they're seeing, surprised at what they're seeing, disgusted at what they're seeing. Now, maybe they're acting, right? Maybe all of them individually are putting on a great act, a great front. But if you read them literally, these do not read like people who were in on the plan and knew this was going to happen or pre-approved it. So the people pleading with Meadows and Trump to get the president to make a statement, to me, is pretty good proof that there was no insurrection or conspiracy at all. And that is the actual reason for the January 6th committee. January 6th committee exists primarily to determine whether there was an organized insurrection against the government. I don't believe there was. And inadvertently, I think their release of these texts argues against it. See, these do not sound like co-conspirators. These people sound like many of us felt that day. Of course, it's subject to interpretation. That's just mine. I'd be interested to hear yours. 210-599-5555. Ben Shapiro tweets, just to get this straight, apparently every Fox News host and Don Jr. was texting Mark Meadows to tell Trump to talk down the rioters. And this somehow demonstrates a coordinated conspiracy to overturn the election. Now, I don't think there's any doubt, I've said this many times on the show, there's no doubt that the president's own words and the words of many Republican politicians were inaccurate and unhelpful after the election. They told people things that weren't true. They talked about how Pence could put this to an end and you can reverse the election and we can have a do-over. There were a lot of people from November to January saying a lot of crap that was not true. And I don't know if they were just stupid or if they knew what they were saying was impossible and unconstitutional and, and not true. I don't know. A lot, of, a lot of stupid stuff said. That's not legally an incitement to riot, no matter how much people want to pretend that it is. It's worthy of criticism. It's not the same thing as a plot to overthrow the government. Now, what these texts don't answer is what was Meadows and, more importantly, what was Trump doing about all this? What was he thinking about all this? You know, we're often told that there was this very incestuous relationship between Trump and Fox News, right? That Fox News is like the, you know, 
the official White House channel when he was president. Well, if that's true, then why is it that their most prominent stars, who seemed to have a lot of access to Trump, they could get him on their shows pretty much any time they wanted, why is he not listening to them on January 6th? Who is he listening to? And again, I, I'm, I'm open to the possibility that all of this is theater, but just taking it at face value, it sure doesn't sound like a widespread plot for an insurrection. How do those uh, text messages that were being sent to Meadows and Trump on January 6th, how do they grab you? What do you think of them? Uh, thoughts on that? JR poll, powered by Stevens Roofing, is a San Antonio Austin Metroplex inevitable? A new article says yes. In fact, not only is it inevitable that we'll be like Dallas and Fort Worth, but we're already well on our way, much closer to it than you think. What do you think about that? We've talked about this over the years. Would you want to have that kind of thing? Would you want to be sister cities with the People's Republic of Austin? So many pros and cons to that. There's so many this is a lot, lot to unpack with that. I want to get your thoughts on that, though. Is a Metroplex in the cards? Today's JR poll, 210-599-5555. Do you remember last week we had uh, a lady on the show from Wreaths Across America? And the reason we had her on is because this coming weekend, they are having volunteers uh, go out to Fort Sam and help put wreaths on the uh, on the tombstones of veterans. It sounds like a great cause if you have the time and the inclination to help out. It's hard to imagine anybody would be opposed to it, but believe it or not, there is someone opposed to it. And they call themselves the Military Religious Freedom Foundation. And we've had them on the show before. Their, their uh, head guy is a guy named Mikey Weinstein. He's been on with us before. He says, listen to this, that wreaths across America are carpet bombing Fort Sam and the other veteran cemeteries. Carpet bombing is an interesting word to use about veterans, isn't it? I wonder if that was an intentional image. It says they're carpet bombing veteran ceremonies with a Christian gang sign. Weinstein told Fox News, we're not saying you can't place wreaths, but you can't blanket it like that. That looks like a Christian gang sign, like you're creating territory that is Christian territory. So he says there shouldn't be wreaths laid unless the family of the veteran in that grave has explicitly given permission. The families are having their hand forced, their relative's grave is being used by these i guess i guess we're a gang now did you know that i did not know we were a gang I used to I, I i i thought we were i thought we were organized religion i thought we were judeo christian america no we're a gang we're a gang um Reese across america is pushing back um they say that they have approval from the families they don't, for example, lay the wreaths at graves marked with the Jewish star of David. Um, so what do you think about that? I, I don't bring it up to give these ne'er-do-wells free publicity. Um, I, I, I bring it up to make another point. 
And it's something worth thinking about this time of year. It seems like every Christmas season for I don't know how many years now, Christmas time has become a window of opportunity for pathetic, loser, self-serving, bitter, lonely, uh, left-wing organizations. People that have despair in their lives, hate watching other people be happy, hate watching other people be inspired. They hate seeing the extra color in your cheeks or spring in your step because it's it's a wonderful time of year and you're anticipating midnight mass or opening presents or being with family. And so they have to rain on your parade. They have to drench it, in fact. It says a lot about how miserable secular life is, how, how lonely and empty it is. I'm not pushing my faith on anybody, but it's pretty clear that people who are trying to navigate the current era we live in with no belief in a higher power, in other words, people that have made themselves their own God, are having a hard time. I mean, it sucks. It's difficult. And in their despair and misery, a few of them, not not all of them, not even most of them, but a few of them want to see if they can jump on the, the platform of Christmas to get a little extra attention. Because for them, attention, media coverage, likes, retweets, that's that's love in their world, you know? I mean, people that live on Twitter um, are basically sustained by attention, even if it's negative, even if it's people mocking them or, or arguing with them. That's a function of social media. I'm sure you've seen it. There are people that, even though they're getting their heads beaten in and everybody's disagreeing with them, you know that that's actually bringing them a kind of twisted joy because at least somebody knows they exist. Now, when you have, when you have God in your life, you don't worry about that. You don't think, does anybody know I'm here? That's what faith and the richness of faith does. When you don't, and I don't say this to be mean, you look for it wherever you can find it, even if it's making people mad at Fort Sam Houston. 210-599-5555. Your thoughts about that. So the the accusation is that wreaths across America are quote-unquote carpet-bombing veteran ceremonies with what he calls a Christian gang sign. Uh, Jaime is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Good afternoon. Ford, Ford, hello? Yes, sir. Hello? I yeah. can hear you. So so when my, so when we laid my brother to rest at Fort Sam back in 94, Fort Sam let us know that they do that, and we have the option to be part of it or don't be part of it. They, they, right. They'll respect our wishes, and they respect our wishes on a lot of things that happen there. They tell us, like, if we want to, if they, if we don't want the flags put on there, we can, we can, we have the option to deny them. But I mean, of course, we're not going to deny. I mean, our family didn't deny. We want, we're proud of what my brother did and how he served his country and everything he's done. I mean, it's just these people that they're, they, they don't believe in God, but yet they want to make, they don't, they think God doesn't exist, but they need to tell everybody that God doesn't exist. Right. So they're acknowledging that God does exist, but they yes. need to make us yes. believe that God doesn't exist. Yeah. So, yeah For people that don't that, believe it's true, they sure are afraid of it, aren't they? 
Yeah, that, that's true. So, but I mean, Fort Sam has always given us that option. So any family that doesn't want it, Reese across America, I remember that letter coming through saying, if you want it or not, you can right. deny it and they'll right. skip it. So, I mean, I don't know what that guy's talking about. Thank you. You have a yeah. great day. Great show. Thank you, Jaime. Good to have you. Appreciate that. Mentioned uh, tomorrow will be our worst Christmas song of all time special in our six o'clock hour. It's our annual, uh, one of our annual traditions. Uh, one of our nicer annual traditions, of course, is wrapping with Jack. We just wrapped up our 23rd year with Family Service Association. We're going to check in with them, uh, next half hour to see how that's all, uh, going. And Pete is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Pete, good afternoon. Afternoon. Jack, forgive me. I, I came on right before the caller Hyman came on. I thought I know what you're talking about. But I want to give a positive anecdote about Port Sam Houston. There's two golf courses that straddle uh, the cemetery. And when golfers hear taps, they stop and they face, you know, the direction that's coming from. When I learned that, man, I thought that was one of the coolest things. Mm-hmm. Golfers stand at attention when they hear taps. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I just wanted to give something positive. I wasn't 100% sure. Thanks anyway. Thank you, Pete. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. You have a Merry Christmas. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think um, the radio station is near Fort Sam, as you may know, and um, I don't think an afternoon goes by that you don't see a, a funeral procession getting off of the loop onto, um, what would that be, I guess, Harry Wurzbach, and going down to Fort Sam. And um, people are reverent about that, and the traffic, as, as, as crazy as people drive these days, that's still one of the few things that, that most everybody respects. I've told the story before of riding in my dad's funeral when uh, he was buried in 2005, and um, we were going through the streets of a town I had been through a million times, it, but it was the first time I had ever seen people on the sidewalks stopping, taking their hats off. Um, a lot of, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people saluting the flag-draped casket as it went by in the in the hearse. Um, I don't think there's any sh- shortage of, of reverence there. Um, I just wanted to point out that this protest against wreaths across America, by the way, I have no, I have no connection with wreaths across America. I'm not involved with them. I, I, had them on last week because they asked, could we put the, put the word out about this? And it seemed like a good idea. And I thought maybe you'd want to do that with your family. But, um, I just wanted to make the point or make the observation that, and this all falls under that umbrella term, the war on Christmas, right? Well, the, the people waging these little guerrilla strikes against Christmas are really expressing, I believe, a kind of emptiness of their own. And that's maybe is another way to look at it. You can get mad, you can get defensive, you can say the hell with them. Uh, but I really think they they are missing something that you have. And um imagine for a moment, put yourself in the in the position for a moment of this time of year and all the the traffic and the long lines and the high prices and the frustrations and the tension and people getting into arguments in stores over the last widget and all that stuff. Imagine if you had to go through everything we're all going through and we had no reason for it. We had no deeper meaning. We 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 weren't able to say, well, I know i got to stand here in this stupid line, but this isn't what it's about. 
Imagine if you were doing the trappings of Christmas, but you had no, that what it actually meant, meant nothing to you. That's who these people are. See, they, I'm sure Mikey Weinstein buys Christmas presents. He probably has to. I'm sure he's expected to go to a party or stand in a line. He probably has to. But people like this go through the, 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 I guess you'd say the, the negatives of this time of year with none of the positives. And, and it's sad and it's empty. And so they're lashing out coming from that place, I think. I think that's what's, what's going on. And, and I want to be fair. I, I know a lot of people who, I don't know if they would call themselves this, but who are essentially atheist. Um, and some of them are, are delightful people and they're very happy people. And they don't want, and they have no interest in depriving you of every religious celebration to come down the pike. They're, they're, they're fine with you celebrating every saint's feast day, celebrating Christmas, celebrating Easter. They're good with all of that. They don't want any part of it. But most people that don't celebrate this stuff don't mind that you do. I really believe that. It's the few that do and have the, you know, the megaphone. You can't let them get to you, though. You feel sorry for them. Pray for them. Because they're really, they're really, they're the ones without something. They're the, they're the ones with the problem. They want to say, you and I have a problem. I think they're the ones with the problem. So there was some, um, the more inflation news today. These are the producer price index numbers. Uh, and I won't make your eyes glaze over, but the producer price, uh, index, uh, came in higher than expected. And it basically means uh, that we are seeing the fastest growth or the fastest hike in consumer prices in modern history. It's not transitory, as the president and his team have said, it's not going away. And it started to make me think about something. I've noticed there's a lot of talk on cable news about these smash-and-grab um crimes that are happening around the country. You've seen them, right? Where, where, where a bunch of people go into a store, they break the case, they steal watches, jewelry, other things. And um, the common denominator is, it's kind of like a flash mob thing, right? The common denominator is they break in, they bust in, they steal the stuff, they make a quick getaway, and nobody stops them. And I want to draw a line or a parallel between the smash-and-grab criminals, and what politicians are doing to you right now. So the smash-and-grab flash mobs are, are looting stores, jewelry stores or Target or whatever. The government, the politicians right now, are looting you. Because inflation steals out of your pocket, out of your savings. It's one thing to pay more for stuff that you need to buy or want to buy. But you're also being robbed of the money you're not moving, you're not spending. It's losing its, it's losing its power and you're losing your, your dream of what you were going to do with it or what you were saving it for. We have a lot of smash and grab going on right now. Politicians are not taking responsibility for inflation. Inflation is always a policy outcome it is never an accident tornadoes spin up out of nowhere inflation is not a tornado it's a very predictable result 
of a policy decision. And then we have smash and grab in the media. We're telling lies and we're repeating them. And we're not telling the truth. So there's a lot of it going on right now. And it makes me wonder if maybe that's why the media and the politicians are uncomfortable with the smash and grab criminal cases. They don't really like to hear about it. You've noticed politicians don't like answering questions about it. They defer blame. The media, except for a couple of channels, don't don't even report on it. But it's, it's happening. And maybe the reason they don't like it and they're not comfortable with it is because they're also doing a form of it. I know they would never say that. It may sound hyperbolic to you, but it's basically the same thing. People are showing up and grabbing your stuff and daring you to do something about it. Could you say that about voting? Politicians are engineering and rigging elections and the way we conduct them and promising to do more of it. Even when they're caught, they deny that there's anything going on. Even when they're confronted with evidence of lost votes and, and illegitimate votes and dead people voting. Oh, no, there's no, we don't have a problem with that. You're crazy to even bring that up. Aren't they smashing and grabbing elections? A lot of it going around right now. 210-599-5555. All right, so we asked you this on the Stevens Roofing JR poll. Um, will we have a San Antonio-Austin Metroplex? Sort of like, you know, Dallas and Fort Worth. I think there are people who would argue we already have it. But what prompted the question was an article recently in the um, online blog, Austonia, which talked about how fast the cities and towns in the 35 corridor are growing. Uh, San Marcos is the fastest growing city in the country, according to the Census Bureau. And um, all those towns up and down 35 between here and the People's Republic of Austin, they're all exploding, right? Real estate prices, development. You may remember a time when there were places along 35 where there wasn't anything. If you drive now from here to Austin, there's there's stuff all along, right? There's hardly any open land at all. And if there is open land, it won't be open for long. So do we want this? Do we want a Metroplex? Is it inevitable that we'll have a Metroplex with, uh, with Austin? And then if you think about that, if you think about Twin Cities or Metroplexes, one of them is always dominant, right? So there's two of them, but one is always the the big kahuna. One of them is always the main one. Dallas-Fort Worth, it's Dallas, right? Nobody would argue that. Minneapolis-St. Paul, I'm pretty sure it's Minneapolis. Which one would be the dominant one here? And, I, you know, I don't hate Austin. We make a lot of jokes on this show about Austin. I I, I don't hate it. I don't. I hope it doesn't come across that way. It's it's I, I joke because I love, but um, every every thing I see them doing, defunding the police, the deal with the homeless people, everything I see them doing, I think to myself, we have the opportunity to do the opposite, but we have the leaders who want to copy. 
Isn't that frustrating? I mean, they they cannot everything they see Austin do, they want to do here. And I think there'll be even more of that as time goes on. And now that they're redrawing the congressional districts, we're going to share more representation in the House with Austin, meaning we're going to have districts that uh, draw voters from both San Antonio and Austin, which probably eventually means that our congressional delegation will be more flavored by Austin. It's going to be interesting. Competing visions, competing ideas, competing cities. Digging into our JR poll question, powered by Stevens Roofing, is a San Antonio-Austin metroplex inevitable? And is it desirable or... Hell no, or what? And you know, one thing this article doesn't, and I posted it on my Facebook page, but one of the things this article doesn't really leave open the possibility of, it's not, yes, we will have one, or no, we won't, and those are the only two choices. I would be surprised if what really happens is that New Braunfels and San Marcos just get more and more, um, I mean, they're getting bigger and bigger, and maybe they will grow and stand in between. Because the presumption I used to hear from people like 20 years ago was that San Antonio would grow to the north, Austin would grow to the south, and they would just, you know, smash into each other, you know, just kind of mush together. But that that acts like there's nothing in between them. These are sovereign cities and towns um, who I don't think want to be incorporated into either one. And I think Kyle and San Marcos and, and New Braunfels, um, they have their own identities. Uh, they're not going away. So I'm not sure if it's the same dynamic as in other places, because I think those cities will continue to be cities. It's a good thing. I mean, all this can be a good thing, as long as we don't keep electing people who have Austin Envy and want to copy every progressive failed policy up there and bring it down here. And you know why we can't be Austin? It's a very simple reason. It's not Jack's opinion. or It's a very simple reason why we can't be Austin. Austin is an essential city because it's a state capital. And I lived in a state capital before I moved here. And a state capital has a kind of... Um, you almost can't screw it up, you know, no matter who you elect and no matter what they do, because people have to go there. They have to do business there. They have to uh, stay there or visit there. When you're not a capital, San Antonio's not, you can screw it up. And people can say, that place is whack, I'm not going there. So Austin can be Austin. Albany could be Albany. You can't mess around, though, if you're not. 210-599-5555. Vic is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Vic, good afternoon. Hey, Jack. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Say, I grew up in Dallas in the 60s and 70s, mainly 50s and 60s. And when uh, they built Texas Stadium halfway between Dallas and Fort Worth or a little closer to Dallas, that accelerated the entire uh expansion of the of the uh, metroplex mm-hmm. um you know it's a you know a unifying uh right. feature in, in the and, and they built it out in a cow pasture in arlington and i thought that was brilliant so in the back here in the 80s or 90s when we built tech we built uh, the alamo dome 
I thought they really need to build that between New Braunfels and San Marcos. And, and that would have, you know, accelerated the growth in that area. I'm now that it's now that uh, Austin's gotten so liberal, I, I really don't want acceleration of that. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, I remember too, you, you know, not only uh, a stadium, but there were people that wanted to put a new airport between the oh, two yeah. cities. So there's right. been a lot of ideas about that, um, but I, I think there's too much independence in these towns between the two cities that that they're not going to just let themselves be taken over. They don't want to become suburbs of either city. You know what I mean? I hope not. I hope yeah. not. I, I, yeah. I love going to Austin. My son lived up there when he was going to school, and I'd tell him on my way up there for a business meeting that uh, could he meet me for lunch, and he'd say, well, where where's your meeting? And I'd tell him, he'd say, no, that's two hours away. <laughs> <laughs> you should have said, but I'm worth it. He lived in North Austin. You know, and yeah. I was having a meeting on on Old Torf or whatever. So, right, yeah, it's already bad enough up there. We don't. I understand the sprawl that's going on, but uh, I hope it stays north. You know, Vic, thanks for the call. And uh, we wrapped up on Friday officially, officially wrapped up. Although we're certainly not going to say no to any additional donations that may be made but we officially wrapped up our campaign for wrapping with jack with family service association here to tell us how that is going is the president of family service association mary gar on our ktsa Connecticut quality water softeners newsmaker line and mary gar good evening to you how are you doing i'm doing great jack how are you good thank you thanks for asking um so people have been asking me for days now how how did it turn out how did it go uh, how are they doing so i'm going to ask you those questions thank you so much i will tell you that thanks to your wonderful listeners and sponsors and all the support of you and your team so far we have raised over sixteen thousand dollars in support of this year's wrapping with jack you're really making a difference out there i will tell you that twice what we had pre-pandemic so we're very thankful but as you noted we can always use more help and so we never turn down donations for a good cause and uh, we're doing a lot of great and important work out there so people are still able to help if they want to but the official number right now is just mm-hmm. over sixteen thousand dollars which will serve families in need this year we certainly we do hope that's great to hear, and we do hope that there's more you know coming and and maybe more on its way into you. Um, how would you characterize the uh, you know you're in the middle of this battle every year? How was this year different from last year and from the pre-pandemic years? What feels different to you? So, you know, from pre-pandemic, I, I will tell you we've always had wonderful, good-hearted people that understand there's families out there in need every year. Last year, I think, really opened so many people's eyes and ears to all the challenges going around in our community and really our country and how fragile so many families were just living paycheck to paycheck and lots of people were falling off the edge of that that cliff, by financial cliff. So we had a huge outreaching of support last year. This year, our numbers haven't reached that amount. We are still in the Mm -hmm. pandemic, as you well know. Some families are doing much better because they've been able to get back on their feet, as you can imagine. Uh, They're still struggling, and new ones have now been affected. 
either due to losses of loved ones or people, you know, family members taken ill and new jobs have been lost, et cetera. So, you know, the needs are still there. We haven't reached the numbers we achieved last year, but last year we knew was a record-setting year because right. the pandemic was so fresh in people's minds here. Right. And and something we tried to hit home and hammer home uh, over these last several weeks is that another new fixture this year is inflation, which y- you all deal with just like we do, because when you go out to shop with the donated money, it affects the prices you're paying. Absolutely. So everything is costing more. You know, the, the, the gifts, obviously, supply chain issues where some things aren't even available, so finding substitutes. But, you know, paper, tape, you know, all those basics, delivery costs, gas prices, you know how much they've gone up to, right. to get things out to people. So, yeah, inflation is eating away. And, and even with the gift cards we have for gas and for food for families, you know, those, those don't go as far as they did a year ago and two years ago. Well, I know that uh, you have been uh, you've been wonderful to work with, and and Katie and Francesca and everybody over there. But but also, I know you join me in thanking our audience, our listeners, uh, who always find new ways and more ways to help and support, um, and even just the people that said, "Hey, I wish you luck," and I'm I'm praying for you. We we thank everybody who made any kind of a contribution this year. Absolutely, it, it takes you know, and you and I've talked about it. It really takes a whole community to take care of each other. And folks coming together all year round, and especially at this time of year, it really does go far. It goes a long way. No matter what people can, how much they can give, or even if it's a hard time this year, knowing about it this year and thinking about it, being able to do it next year, you know, could make that difference then. Mary, thank you for uh, being so great, and we look forward to working with you again. And uh, we also are looking forward to our big uh, Rappin' with Jack finale mini concert tomorrow night. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Thursday night at six. We'll be live streaming Ken Slavin and his music, and thanking our sponsors and thanking our listeners. And that'll be Thursday in our six o'clock hour. And Mary Gar, thank you, Mary Gar, the president of Family Service Association of San Antonio. Um, 210-599-5555 right now on KTSA. So we've been talking about uh, a metroplex between San Antonio and Austin, uh, or or Austin and San Antonio. Like, wh- who would be the dominant city, uh, and who would be kind of the junior partner, the JV? Eleanor is on KTSA. Eleanor, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for bringing up the topic. I pretty much live in both cities. I, I go back and forth, and... And I could tell you that they are so different culturally, economically, uh, socially, in all the ways that count, that I can't imagine that there will ever be any kind of melding between those two Mm -hmm. communities. Mm -hmm. Austin is fundamentally a secular city. And in San Antonio, faith is evident everywhere. Um, I'm counting on the Germans in New Braunfels to keep the hordes from the gate. <laughs> That's quite an image. <laughs> I just pictured horses and and helmets with plumes on them and everything there. Yeah, wow. But, you know, your observation about the, the, the culture of faith, I had not even thought of that. And you are, I think you're right. You know more about it than I do. My sense is that um, whether it's, uh, traditional religion or, or uh, 
you know, sort of, I guess what you'd call multi-denominational Christian churches, we do seem to have a lot more of them and more, they're more like present in everyday life here, right? Yes, absolutely. The language is completely different. The way people relate to one another is so different. Austin is, the other thing is Austin is, is the most segregated city I've ever lived in. Um, the races do not mix. And minority races are becoming even more a minority. They're being crowded out because of the economics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very wealthy white city, a very wealthy white secular city. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when I come here, it's just such a blessing and such a relief um this is this is a great city it's a great very old city and that has an impact on how things develop as well yeah um, interesting thoughts yeah yeah no i mean and and you you really are illustrating how different they are and how difficult it would be to to sort of meet in the middle uh culturally um in that way. Great, great points, Eleanor. Thank you so much for the call, and, and Merry Christmas to you and your family, and Happy New Year. Glad to have you on our show. Elon Musk is uh, Time Magazine's Man of the Year. It's too late now. They've printed the covers because Elon Musk says, I am against vaccine mandates. What the what? How did, a, how did an anti-vaxxer, I know that's not what it means, Get on the cover of Time Magazine. What kind of country do we live in? It's almost like Trump is president. Elon Musk declaring that, quote, I think this is just not something we should do in America. He was asked if he's vaccinated. He says, yes, I am, and I'm pro-vaccines. I believe the science is unequivocal. I treat it to that effect. But by the same token, I am against forcing people to be vaccinated. You know, I'm completely in agreement with him. He and I are like twins. I think I have a better haircut. He has a lot more money. What is it with rich guys and haircuts? Elon Musk is the richest man on the planet. Have you ever seen his haircut? I could do that blindfolded. He probably pays big money for it, right? A guy like him, I mean, you figure everything he does is probably, you know, you and I pay whatever, 10 bucks, 15 bucks for a haircut. He probably pays $300 for a haircut. Have you seen his hair? It looks like it was done by somebody dangling out of a helicopter. I picture like the Mission Impossible theme, and you know. And then you had Bill Gates. You ever seen Bill Gates? Always looked like you know. He combed his hair with a wagon wheel. That was an expression we had in my family. I don't know what it meant. Warren Buffett has that comb over. Yeah, the richest guys in the world. Put some money into your hair, dude. I guess when you're that rich, though, it doesn't matter, right? You just show up. Um, all kinds of new stuff coming out about COVID and natural immunity. It's another study that says natural immunity has um, stronger protection than the uh, vaccines, which is not a, you know, that's not an argument against the vaccines, but it's an argument for factoring in as we look at the population, as we look at, you know, 
how we manage a virus, you, you should be factoring in the people that are walking around with this robust natural immunity, and governments ignore them. They refuse to count them. They refuse to uh, include them. They only divide people as vaccinated and unvaccinated. There's more than two categories. And they're finding this in study after study after study. They're easing COVID restrictions in New Zealand. New Zealand has what they call a traffic light system. So uh, they're basically between red and yellow right now on their graph. And they're easing some of the restrictions. So the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, went on their one of their morning shows, like a Today Show kind of thing, And she revealed that among the things that are now okay, I'm not making this up and I'm going to play it for you, among the things that are now okay in New Zealand are orgies. Cut number two. I can confirm that that Tinder liaisons have reopened. (laughs) Great news for my friend. It's not not strictly embedded in the traffic light system, but... um, it is a given up to 25, actually, in a red area. Okay, well, uh, no, off. stop, stop. <laughs> no, no, we are going no further on that line of questioning. Um, Prime Minister, moving things on. Um, I'm not a scientist, but um, how could 25 people having an orgy uh, be okay? I mean, if that's okay, wouldn't everything be okay? I mean, see, it, it would seem to me like... If you were ranking behaviors for their potential infectiousness, that would be one end of the spectrum, right? I mean, I don't know, but I would think. That's what I'm imagining. Twenty-five. She says 25 people. And what did she call them, Don? They were tender, were they tender moments? Tender, oh, tender liaisons. I can confirm that, that tender liaisons have reopened. Oh, that's what that's what the kids are calling it nowadays. I didn't know that. Okay, so I'm sorry I used an old-fashioned term, orgy. They're tender liaisons. Okay. I just want you to have the langu- language, right, just so you know the lingo. So somebody comes at you with a tender liaison, you might think, are we going to watch a Hallmark movie together or what? No, just be be prepared. But they're they're backing down in New Zealand. Interesting place to start. Kind of makes you... Wonder who has the political power in New Zealand if that's on the list. A German court. Now, another function of uh, or or factor of the virus and the pandemic has been people working from home, right? So a German court has just ruled on a workplace accident case. A man slipped and fell walking from his bed to his home office. He slipped and fell. He actually fell on a spiral staircase in his home. And he broke his back. And he wanted it ruled a workplace accident. And the German court has ruled that it is. This is a workplace accident. The court noted that the employee usually started working in his home office immediately without having breakfast beforehand, but did not explain why that was relevant to the case. The insurance company had suggested that um, he was on his way out to get breakfast, 
before he started the workday. So technically, when he fell, he wasn't on his way to work. He was on his way to go get, I guess, something to eat. And that was the distinction. The court ruled the plaintiff suffered an accident at work in his home office. And employers are wondering how many more of these health and safety claims, compensation claims there will be from all the people that have worked and are working from home. So, I wonder who you call in Germany. Do you call the fours? <laughs> Something else, probably, right? So somebody sent this to me, and I guess it was on a Facebook group. Um, it was the Christmas ad, newspaper ad, for a department store that we used to go to when I was growing up in Massachusetts. It was a chain called King's. I don't think they had King's down here. King's was like, uh, it was the version in the 70s, 60s and 70s of what, you know, Target and Walmart are now. It was a big discount uh, department store. There were, I think there were hundreds of them at one time. And there was one near my house. And uh, this was their... Christmas ad, Christmas gifts. Let's see. A GE electric can opener, $12.99. I'm not sure they know. I don't have an electric can opener. I don't even know. Um, here's a uh, Proctor Silex. Remember that brand? Proctor Silex uh, drip coffee maker. Sixteen ninety nine. You know, those still aren't much more than that, I don't think. Uh, they've got toasters. <laughs> Here's This is so weird. I wouldn't think to give this as a Christmas gift. Uh, they have um, a smoke detector. That's an interesting Christmas gift. I'm not against smoke detectors. It just doesn't, it seems like kind of a, a somber thing to give as a gift, especially to kids. It's probably kind of a letdown. Uh, what else do they have here? Well, they have, you know, they have mittens and socks. Uh, they have um, ceramic Christmas bells, a set of four, $1.48, boots. Uh, oh, here's a uh, here's Polaroid uh, camera. Remember those? That was, th- that was basically the smartphone camera of yesteryear, you know. We, we, we thought getting a photograph in a few minutes was so... Buck Rogers in the 25th century, and now you take a picture and it's right there immediately. In the time you send it all around the world, you'd still be waiting for the Polaroid to, whatever the term is for it, to come into focus. What, what do you call that, right? Where the Polaroid thing, you're shaking it and you're waving it, and it, it's gradually becoming a photograph, whatever the term is for that. So they have that. They have um, some board games. They have the uh, electronic game Milton. Do you remember Milton? Uh, that is um, marked down to only $20 at King's. This would have been sometime in the mid-1980s. What was the store you remember going to as a kid, like to get your ideas for Christmas or where your parents went Christmas shopping? Because remember how parents, we all fell for it. Your parents would take you to a store to do whatever they needed to do to buy stuff, but they were watching to see what you were interested in so they knew what to get you. That and, of course, reading your letter to Santa. What was the story you remember? I remember going to King's, and there was another chain we had up there called Zares. 
And I think that was even bigger than King's. I think there were even more Zares. They were all over the eastern United States. Again, I don't think Zares was down here. Zares became part of TJ Maxx, which still exists. Um, but yeah, these were stores that were like Marshall's or Target are now. And Zares was another one. Zares was actually cooler than King's. I remember King's had kind of a smell. You know that, you know, that, yeah, some stores just have like a, a linger, I don't know if it was what they cleaned with or that they didn't clean, but King's was a little stale. Zares was kind of cool and hip and brighter, and it didn't have that smell that King's had. But we were happy to go to either one. And we, you know, anything we showed a particular interest in, I'm sure Mom was making a mental note. Okay, maybe, possibly, that could be, you know. And then you'd get it on Christmas Day. You'd be like, how did Santa know? How did he know? Does he go to King's? I really thought Santa, by the way, as a kid, I really thought Santa went to stores. I know you're supposed to, the whole thing with the elves and the workshop, but even as a kid, I knew that that's not, the scale of that is impossible. He's got to do some shopping. So I thought he went to King's. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he did. You know, you can't prove he didn't, right? Um, what was the story you remember like this uh, from your childhood, the department store you were excited to go to? Uh, where you got all your toy ideas and wrote Santa Claus and your parents kind of spied on you a little bit to see what you really wanted. 210-599-5555. Lloyd is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Hi, Lloyd. Hi, Jack. How are you this evening? Good, thank anyway, you, sir. How are you? I'm great. The store that I remember the most when I was growing up was Kmart. And what I thought mm. was really neat about that store was that they had there every half hour, every hour, they had a blue light special. And so they yeah. would have this cart go around the store in different departments with a flashing blue light on it. And the guy mm. come across the intercom and he would talk about the blue light special this hour is you can go buy a hammer over here in the, in the uh, home section for $2.50 while the blue light flashes. And once the blue light was off, the deal is off. And I thought that was a kind of a neat marketing program. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't, they didn't, um, the Kmart was all over the country. I didn't, I don't think I had one near where I, where I lived. Cause the first time I was ever in a Kmart was, was down here. Um, and really? I, are they all gone now? Yeah. Well, the ones here are, I, I don't know if they're gone all over, but I do know that the ones here are gone. And, yeah. and, uh, I quit shopping at them a long time ago, but, uh, I quit shopping altogether. But when I was growing up, the, the, the most fun I'd ever had going to stores was I go with my, with my dad to the feed store. Because I always like looking at pocket knives and yes. rifles and ammunition and yeah. all that kind of stuff, and I always thought them feed stores were kind of neat because they had a they had a whole gamut of model tractors to all kinds of stuff, and I always thought they were neat places to go to. They were. My dad went to a hardware store every Saturday, whether he needed to or not, and I loved going with him. Thank you, Lloyd. It's funny because um, now I think of that as kind of a chore. But as a kid, I was like, you could have been taking me to Disney World. I thought it was great. And, yeah, you look at everything. Oh, I'm looking at sandpaper. Look, look at all the different kinds of sandpaper. Hey, we didn't have phones, all right? That was entertaining to us. We didn't have TikTok. We had sandpaper. 210-599-5555. The story you remember from Christmas shopping or Christmas wishing uh, as a kid. A lot of people are mentioning Joski's. And Frost Brothers, and um, I, you know, one store that was still open when I moved here. There was one right near where I lived when I first moved here in the '90s, and I never went in. I, I, I don't even know what they were like inside. Was Solo Serve? I always thought that was a funny name for a store. 
And I didn't really know what they were. And then they were gone. I think they're all gone, right? Uh, Omar is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hi, Omar. Hello, Jack. Um, I've got three of them We're growing okay. up with a kid. Sears, Western Auto, and a tiny store called Gibson's with a department store in the neighboring town of Pleasanton where I grew up. Oh, okay. But, you know, the Sears catalog, I mean, come on. That's yes. that just, you know, that was heaven. You know, it had everything. Yeah. Yeah. Gibson's was, you know, for cassette tapes and BB guns, and Western Auto was for bikes. I mean. There you go. There you go. You know, I, I, it's funny. There used to be a lot of department stores that were just in one city or just in one state or maybe in part of the country. And pretty much now everything we have, if it still exists, it's everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of got to be, kind of got to be everywhere. But of those three, probably Gibson's was my was my favorite because it had everything. You know, we're, we're, you know, very into the BB gun thing at that age. You know, just to, so was it a department store or a? Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a local. Okay. And I think there's still one open, and it's I think it's I heard it was in the Hill Country somewhere. Oh, okay, but, uh, Gibson's. Anyway. Maybe somebody will call in. Who knows? Thanks, Omar. Yeah. Appreciate the call, sir. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, 210-599-5555. Katie in the newsroom is saying she would circle the items she wanted in the toy catalogs. Yep, I remember that. Um, you know, just in case somebody needed a little help, make some circles or dog ears some pages, you know, nothing wrong with that. Just trying to be helpful. Two, that was our economic stimulus. You know, we were just stimulating the economy. 210-599-5555. Now, the letter to Santa Claus, where I grew up, there was a park. Uh, they still do this, by the way. I saw it when I was there a couple of weeks ago. There, there was a little park next to a Dunkin' Donuts that, where they put up a giant Santa Claus statue. It's It's not as big as I remember it because I was a kid when I saw it. But anyway, and at the foot of that statue was a special red mailbox. And I forget what it said on it, but the gist of the message was this goes right to the North Pole. Like you thought as a kid, if you dropped it in, it went down like a long chute or it went into a pneumatic tube and it wound up at the North Pole. I, I, who knows where those letters went? But I know that parents tried to see them before you dropped them in that box. So a big thing in my family was we'd go see the Santa Claus statue, drop the letter, get a donut. 210-599-5555, and Ted is on the radio. Hi, Ted. Hey, Jack. How you doing? The Good. How are you? calling about Gibson's. There's a Gibson's in Kerrville, and it's oh, still okay. open. I was in there last week. Cool. And so the store I remember is Oshman's, and it used to be across Central Park Mall, Mm-hmm. Uh, over where I think it's that soup and salad joint now or the Goodwill or whatever. But that was a great, great department store. And it was a department store like, you know, a little bit of everything? Well, sporting goods, rifles, hunting gear, camping yeah. gear, uh, that kind of thing. Very, very cool. cool store. All right. Did you get? Did you ever get a Christmas gift from there? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes I bought them for myself. <laughs> There you go. As you get older, you have to do it that way. That's the only thing you can count oh, on. Yeah. Ted, thanks for the call, sir. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, Patrick is on KTSA. Hi, Patrick. Hey, we used to go to uh, Woolworths. Yes. And um, yeah. Nancy Griffith actually wrote a song about that. 
and we used to save up these things called S&H green stamps. Yep. And we'd save yep. them up all year long, and that would be what we could use to buy Christmas presents for our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My grandmother on my mother's side was big into the S&H stamps, and she even told my mother one time how she wanted them uh, divvied up if anything ever happened to her. I mean, it was like... It was like she, you know, I, I don't think the lady had a will, but she had, she knew where she wanted, who she wanted to get those stamps. And that was a big thing, right? You collected them, and I think you collected them in like a little book, right? Right. You put them in a little book, and you put them in there, and they had so many yeah. credits. And, yep. you know, you'd go in every week to see how many you had because the number of stamps that were required last week uh, might have gone down this week. Right. So you wanted to be sure you stayed on top of it. Yeah, no. I know she got a vacuum cleaner from uh, her S and H stamps and some other things. It was a big. My grandmother that she made that work. She had seven kids, so she had to make that work. And a lot of people used to get. Uh, there's a big thing now uh, with people who collect, like, you know, there's a whole hobby of collecting old dishes and plates and stuff like that. And apparently, I was just reading this last night. Apparently, the kinds of uh, dishes and dish sets that they used to give away. If you turned in enough stamps at a store, those, which were considered not valuable and kind of, you know, just kind of subpar, now those are very collectible. People have nostalgia for that stuff. I think they like the story that goes with it, you know. So even though they weren't the highest quality, if you can find them now, people pay big money for them. Maybe maybe you have them. Maybe you should look. All right, we're talking about, uh, speaking of going back, uh, the story you remember as a kid where you did your Christmas wishing or your parents did the Christmas shopping, or you went to see the Christmas display. A lot of people are mentioning the Christmas Village at Josky, seeing that in the windows. 210-599-5555. Bob is on the radio. Hi, Bob. Hey, how you do, brother? Hey, there's a store that I used to go to in New Orleans called Maison Blanche. And it was like a three-story store, which basically sold a lot of stuff. Uh, and also had a retail store in the back of it. Hmm. And, but the what I remember of it was they had the decoration like a huge doll, or what they called Mr. Bingo, and it was like a snowman, the younger with, uh, had the, and it was they put it up every year, and, and anybody from New Orleans, around my yeah. age or whatever, will remember Maison Blanche. Uh, are those stores still open, or are they gone now? I don't know. I don't know if the store's still open or not. But it was just uh, every year. I mean, every year they put this Mr. Bingo up, and yeah. it was it's uh, it was they, they really decorated the inside. It was in, uh, the store itself was really unique, just to, to say. I think you know. I think that whole art of creating something in the store that is its own attraction. I think that's kind of lost, right? I mean, you go in stores now, and it's just well, here's our stuff. There's no like uh, creativity to it, right? Yeah, I need to see if I can find me a picture of that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's thank you, Bob. Memory. Appreciate your yeah. Appreciate your sharing that, and you have a merry Christmas, and thank you for calling. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Now we would also, the, so the stores I'm describing, Kings and Zares, were in our town or near, you know, right nearby. But once in a while, you would get to go in town. You know what I'm talking about, right? The big city. And when we went when we went in town, the big what we thought of as very fancy department stores, but they were really kind of like Macy's is now. Uh, the big ones were Jordan Marsh and Filene's. 
And I think it was Jordan Marsh had a... Well, they both had... Remember when department stores had a restaurant or a coffee shop in them? And I think very few do now. But anyway, they had a... um, Jordan Marsh had a coffee shop or a bakery, and they had these blueberry muffins that were the size of a baby's head. They were incredible. And a few years ago, I found the recipe. Somebody put it online. And I made them. And they actually came out kind of like the store. I was very excited. You know, so I, and I didn't charge myself anything, but it, th- th- those were the kinds of things. And, and like Bob was describing with having a, you know, an attraction within the store. I, I don't know. I mean, that stuff seems to be pretty much gone. And is it because people don't want it anymore? Is it because there's no, like they don't have the staffing to do it anymore? You, know, you, you hear about how brick and mortar stores are fighting to stay alive and fighting to stay relevant. And these things people are describing sound like they would. I don't know, be a shot in the arm. Maybe I'm wrong. It's not my business, so I don't know. Um, This half hour, the results on the JR poll. We've been walking down retail memory lane a little bit. We get closer to Christmas, talking about some old department stores, the stores you remember growing up. A lot of people remembering a store that was just in their town or, uh, you know, a local business. I think kids today probably only know chain retailers, right? How how often do, do kids today go in a store that's the only one? Right, and um, and there were regional chains like the ones I was describing, Kings and Zares, Z A Y R E, were um, they were regional. They were mostly in the east and the northeast. Um, I, I looked them up. Both of them started the same year, nineteen fifty six. That was probably a heyday for department stores, right? You know, it was probably the big switchover from people going to five and dimes and general stores to department stores. More people had cars. More people were living in the suburbs. So they were a thing. They were department stores were part of all that. And, uh, and then malls. And it seems like the, the, the death of malls either caused or played into the demise of a lot of these uh, department stores, although the ones I went to were not in malls. They were in, well, I mean, they were in centers that had other businesses, but they were by far the biggest thing in that center. Uh, 210-599-5555. We're talking about all that with you here on 550 KTSA and FM 1071. Um, I wanted to play this uh, for you because I think it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's kind of a nice message, but I want to see if you notice what I notice. Actor John Voigt. Actor John Voigt has, um, I guess you could say, posted on his social media a Christmas greeting to his fans. And he has a lot of fans, not only of his acting, but of his politics. So here is actor John Voigt with Christmas greetings for you. Take a listen. My holy wish for this nation is truth. Truth to open up, to hear, and to give it a chance. My fellow Americans, this is a time to celebrate with loved ones and to cherish each day. It's a gift from God. It's a time to rejoice, a time to pray for our lost loved ones, and a time for our great nation to heal. Yes, heal from anger, heal from sadness, and heal from all the past mistakes. We're here today, and this is a blessing. Let us all come together. Let us all truly accept that we as one nation are strong. Put aside your anger and look at all the achievements that President Trump has done in the last three years. He has brought back jobs to the American people. 
Our homes are safe, and we're feeling stability again. Yes, he has made America great again. I wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy Hanukkah. God bless the USA. Hmm. All right, so John Voigt. Um, I don't think everyone got it. You know, I don't think everyone's feeling the, the same spirit. Um, let me play this for you. Um, last night on CNN, um, Don Lemon was wondering aloud, why do we have to live in a world with Fox News? Why? Why, God? Well, it wouldn't have been God he would ask because it was CNN. But anyway, cut number four. Why, why does Jen Psaki even continue to call on Fox in the briefing room? I mean, they're very, they've been very courteous and i should say you know kind because if your network is promoting bs and lies about what is actually happening in the country and helping to inspire and incite an insurrection why why should they even be able to take part in a legitimate press briefing in legitimate journalism why why do they even allow fox to but pretend in the briefing room that they're a real news organization <laughs> why First of all, I guess he's over Jesse Smollett, right? Yeah. Which we'll come to in a minute. But um, does Don Lemon not remember a guy named Jim Acosta? Do you remember Jim Acosta? Am I having a fever dream? Didn't Jim Acosta spend four years grandstanding either before Trump or Trump's press secretaries? What, it, it isn't what Peter Ducey's doing now? In that vein, now you might not like the comparison, and I happen to think Peter Ducey is a more serious reporter, but didn't Jim Acosta open the door that Peter Ducey is walking through? But this, this, I'm just blown away. I've been in broadcasting my whole adult life. You never get on the air and whine about your competitor. That would be like getting on the radio and going, oh, I can't believe that other station down the dial plays the same music we do. Why? Why are they there? Why don't they get off the air? I mean, you wouldn't do that. Who'd listen to that? This is where you're in a bubble, right? Where you think putting on a nationwide program should be about bitching about the other network. That's Oh, people will definitely drop everything to watch that. That's what America wants. Now, about Jesse Smollett, we haven't talked about him in a few days. No one has. Can I tell you something This is going to sound weird? And don't jump down my throat. Let me just finish what I'm going to say. I feel a little sorry for him. No, I don't. I'm not softening on the fact that he lied and he played the race card and he sowed division and took advantage of division that had already been sowed. Um, what he did is is still wrong. I'm not changing my mind about that. Here's what I feel sorry about with Jesse Smollett. Here's where I wish I could sit with him and talk to him. Have you ever seen anyone thrown away by their allies so quickly? I have. The left does it all the time. He was useful to them in a moment. And it was a moment of his creation, but... It was a moment they were only too happy to... I mean, it was, it was almost like they knew where to go with it. He, he threw it down, and they were like, oh, we know what to do with that. It's like when a, in basketball when a guy just hurls the ball 
toward the uh, the backboard. It's like a giant arcing thing, and another guy comes along and slams it home. And they know they're they're doing that, and they practice it. And Justy Smollett is the guy that just hurled the the you know the rock, and CNN slammed it through the hoop. And they used him. They used him to make points they had been making before. They used him to dramatize their big picture theory about Trump and our country and you and me and white people. You got to say white people with a disdainful tone. White people. But they found out he lied. Awkwardly, badly, like really terrible lies, you know, like the lie when you're, when you're four and you break your mom's lamp and you, you know, you claim a witch flew through the living room or something ridiculous, you know, because you're under pressure. He told a terrible lie and they dropped him. All of them. They've all dropped him. I, I heard the, the clip, Don, you played it at the beginning of the show. They were discussing this on The View, and now Joy Behar doesn't even remember his name. Is it Smollett or Smollett? Smollett. (laughs) Who is the guy? His name was on every lip for days. They loved him. They knew him. They believed in him. And they're done with him. And that's where I'd like to just sit with him and sympathize with him a little bit and say, now do you see? They were never your friends. They used you. And I know that you know if you're if you're a black man or woman, you don't need a white guy telling you about being used. I know that you get that, but just know that we all see it. We all see how white liberals used Jesse Smollett, but never really cared because if they cared, they'd be there for him now. And they're not. They've literally forgotten how to say his name. It's instructive. Kind of, it tells you a lot about them. And I do. I. If I knew him, I'd I'd call him and I'd invite him out or something. Because I really, you know, it's got to be hard. Yeah, he shouldn't have done it. He's going to pay for it. But he went from a high height to a low low really fast. Is it Smollett or Smollett? Smollett. <laughs> uh, by the end of the month, they won't even remember that. Well, who was that guy on Empire? Tomorrow night, we're going to be about as far away from Ella Fitzgerald as you can be. We're going to be on a planet where Ella Fitzgerald never lived. The worst <laughs> the worst Christmas song of all time. It's our annual tradition on this show. We specialize in terrible things and dreadful things, so that makes sense, right? Who, who else could do it? And um, we'll uh, count down, because there's, there's certainly some also-rans. We'll count down to the worst Christmas song of all time. And if you don't believe it's the worst Christmas song of all time now because you can't imagine what we mean or what song we're talking about, you haven't heard this song. You haven't heard it. And then you'll hear it. And you'll believe. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed the latest report involving bus number five out of New Haven. (laughs) That's from the song. All right, on the JR poll, powered by Stevens Roofing, is a San Antonio-Austin Metroplex inevitable a lot of people have feelings about this. Strong ones. 55% tonight say no. And a lot of them not only don't think it's uh, going to happen, but they don't want it to happen. 45% say yes. Metroplex, inevitable. Talk about that tomorrow. We'll have a new JR poll tomorrow. We leave you tonight with a guy who had a great, long, full career, but who we always associate with this time of year is 
Christmas specials on television. He even taped one here in San Antonio one year toward the end of his television career. We leave you with Perry Como tonight, and I'll see you back here at 4 tomorrow at KTSA. Here we come a-caroling among the leaves so green. Here we come a-wandering so fair to be seen. Love and joy come to you, and to you glad Christmas too. And God bless you and send you a happy new year. And God send you a happy new year. We are not daily beggars that go from door to door, but we are friendly neighbors whom you have seen before. Love and joy come to you, and to you glad Christmas too. And God bless you and send you a happy new year. And God send you a happy new year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.